Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show where I connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship. My name is Jens Heitland and welcome to the show. Today's episode is another innovation breakfast where I meet with previous guests to dig deeper into a specific topic. The topic of today is leading cultural transition in a growing organization. Please welcome back to the show, Joshua, Dennis and Berna. Welcome back guys, how are you doing? Hey, it's good to be back. Thank you, good to be back. Talking about cultural transition in yes. companies. So, as, as you all know, today we are looking into leading cultural transition in a growing organization. That is the, the topic for today where we dig more into. But let's recap from last time. Last time we talked about culture, organizational cultures, and how that is as well from an entrepreneurial uh, mindset inside of different organizations. So today we look more into what are different transition points and how culture is defined and maybe as well looking at a little bit of culture in different companies and countries. Dennis, you're you're the first one. What are your thoughts without preparation? <laughs> so in any any project I start, I tend to zoom out to try to get a complete picture of what I'm dealing with. And when you're talking about uh, cultural transitions, the best way to actually look at the transition is to zoom out a lot and see how, uh, when you're talking about growth in a conversation, see how somebody went from a creation of having a good idea to finding a partner, to creating an alliance with uh, three or four people, to taking people on and having about 20 people. And then your culture starts to change. You start to have a very diverse uh, group of people. Then you move to uh, 50 people, 200 people, and then, Every, every time you actually grow and move through these growth spurts, this is where we say uh, the culture changes. This is where it's interesting to look at. And the only real way to look at that is to zoom out and look at what's happening when you are uh, moving through these cultural shifts or cultural transitions when you increase in numbers. And the basic foundation for at least my belief in saying that everything changes uh, that's a Latin verb, uh, I think, started by Ovid, <laughs> say omnia mutantur, which is uh, everything changes. And also another uh, very interesting Latin quote uh, being panterai, so everything flows. So if you, if you take those words and say everything is flowing, everything changes constantly, and then the only way to truly look at those changes is by, by zooming out. And when we get to that point saying, well, let's float above a growing company and see what's happening, I think that's a great starting point for us to start thinking about what kind of transitions we're seeing. That's because a tough start for us. 
Well, <laughs> you, you did bring in Latin, so now how do I follow that? Yeah, I was about to say, Werner, you're next. <laughs> yeah, so in this conversation, maybe I'm also a little bit clouded because, and, and we need to just guide it in the right direction because I'm currently working, uh, consulting on a project where there is change happening in an organization or they are trying to inspire or influence change, right? And what I would mention though is that the change is directly related to something that I'm very passionate about and it's probably still a newbie. As a South African, I should be more experienced with it, but it's really around um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when those kind of words come up, inevitably going to have a, a change on how you do business, your culture internally. And we started talking about it, and that's a complex thing, and we can explore that as well. But I think one of the big things that we are exploring at the moment is like, what are we, first of all, culture change starts with human beings, inside an organization, I think that's where we first have to start is that you zoom back because for me, sometimes organizational culture feels very ethereal up the top, like, oh, it's magical. It's human beings. It's people. It needs to come from the top down, like we said yesterday. If it's not driven by the executives and, and their mandate, that's a problem. But then the other thing that is a challenge that we're currently exploring is like, who are we trying to change? I think in the past, what we're trying to do is to try and prepare the organization to be all cool and allow people in and label the toilets properly and all that kind of stuff. The thing is with cultural change is that you also have to look at the people that are currently in the organization and how they are going to absorb or affect or be involved in that change. So that's kind of some of the things that is kind of floating around my mind. I don't have all the answers, but I think one of the important things is to, to rip off the plaster of like this organizational thing and, and focus in on it's actually people. We need to focus on the people. Love that. Let's go to Joshua. Yeah, so it's two acts that uh, I'm going to try and follow. And so maybe, Vanna, what, what you mentioned around people definitely got my mind thinking, and it's quite interesting to see certain synergies in some of the things that I'm also working on and, and specifically preparing for this discussion today. And there's sort of four things that I started with when I started thinking about it. The first is history. The second is influencing factors. The third is science. And then the fourth is people and psychology. And those four things sort of came from two books. Um, the first is Loon Shots by Safi Bakal. And if you haven't read it, I'd highly recommend it. And I've got some other nuggets that I'll share during the point of this conversation. And then the second book is Homo Sapiens by another great cool. thinker, Yuval Noah Harari. And it's amazing when you start thinking about people. And one of the biggest things that I've revisited, and I've read this book a number of times, but... In thinking about today's conversation, I went back to sort of the foundations of the agricultural revolution and how that sort of changed the way that people think, our psychology, our dependencies on different spaces, and how that really fast-tracked certain ways and made us dependent on certain things that we didn't realize how dependent we were once when we were evolving as humans. And I think that's a number of things bundled into there. But in terms of thinking about culture, I think that we need to identify with change. We need to identify with people, but we also need to identify with Vanna, like you rightly said, who is it that we are trying to change and what is it that we are trying to change? And so those are two of the foundational books that I've sort of re re gone back to and visited and pulled some nuggets out for today's conversation. But I think we have to a great start. And Jens, I'll throw the, throw the mic back to you in, in Germany. Thank you. Yeah, what just got me thinking was I 100% agree with, with Werner. We need to zoom in into the people. Where I slightly disagree or have a, have a point is, again, this hierarchy way of thinking. I think change needs to come from the inside and you need to allow the change happen, which means if you work with a management team 
or you are a manager or leader inside an organization, you, you can't force the change. I mean, you can try, but at least in my experience, it, it will never happen. So you need to enable the change, unleash the change and support the people in where they are and then unleash that opportunity to change and really find out what are the different things you need to unleash in every person inside that organization to be able to change towards a direction which hopefully you set up together or you have someone who is setting up a direction. Um, so, go. So I wanted to react to it and I want to break your train of thought. So, I mean, we also spoke about this top-down conversation last time, right? And I yeah. also want to clarify it because and I'll explain to you why I'm so passionate about the top-down thing. And, and I think that probably my articulation of it is probably incorrect. Your, your articulation is much better, is the enablement. And I think in South Africa, what I've seen, and Joshua, you can definitely disagree with me because I'm not in the country at the moment, but my early career was there, is that it needs to come from the top as an enablement. The thing that I'm worried about and concerned about what happens sometimes in organizations is that there's this sink and swim attitude. Right, so we are gonna we're gonna include women now in everything, and we're just gonna drop them in everywhere, or we're gonna bring people in of different races and cultures who haven't had the opportunity to be in this organization, and we're gonna make them leaders. And the thing is, I feel, and I I've seen it in my own career that sometimes what happens is leadership feels like this military kind of way of like just dropping you in, and if this guy like swims, he's gonna make it. If he sinks, he's just not cut. He's not cut out of the right cloth. And I think when we start talking about culture and that kind of stuff is that there is a responsibility on the side of the people who are kind of enabling this to make sure that those people succeed. An ex-boss of mine always said, like, let's set you up for success. Mm. And I think that is, the, that is what I mean with this kind of top-down thing is that there is a willingness and to create space and then creating a space where we are trying to setting, set people up for success, not setting them up to see what's going to happen and say, to go on national TV is like, yeah, we're doing empowerment. That's super cool. And then downstairs, everybody's freaking out and flipping over because they still have to deliver everything else and then make magically make this other thing happen. So 100% agree with you, but I just wanted to put that caveat. That's what I mean. It's I, It needs to come. I mean, for example, this project I'm working on, there's a stamp of approval. The CEO goes, and then he creates the space for everybody to do this. But then, then I believe like you do, Jens, is that it needs to go from bottom up. Yeah. Everybody needs to actively work together. It, it's, it's not like everybody's sitting there and then getting an e-learning thing or there's a poster on the toilet door, like be nice to other people. No, everybody needs to design the change together. And I'll keep quiet. I think that's good, Dennis. So let's, let's go back to my initial uh, efforts to see if we don't dive into the nitty-gritty personal thing right in the, from the beginning. Because the idea is that outside of the fact that everything changes and we know that change is there and nobody's comfortable with it, the idea is that if you want to look at transitional transitions in culture, uh, I think we, for this particular conversation, need to scope what we're talking about. Because if we say just the word organization, we probably mean organizations and companies with uh, 10,000 and more people or 5,000 more people. But if you look at the transition in culture when you have a growing company, you do start with one person, with two partners, with five people, with, and you grow. And there's differences in culture there. These transitions are always the same. And the stuff is that when, when we're talking about big organizations and change, I get that. I, I visualize 
uh, all kinds of situations where people are trying to get a grip on that huge elephant in the room where they say, oh, it's changed. And we have to uh, know uh, how to tackle this within the 10,000 voices in our uh, company. And I totally relate to uh, Werner's point right now through diversity, people being dropped into places which aren't maybe naturally happening. But because of our push towards diversity and uh, equality, that is a step towards a new kind of change. But if you literally look at the way that you move from uh, having an own idea and like we're having uh, this conversation and say we with these four people start a little company and uh, we have four different ways of working, which can be great. You know, if we are four exactly the same people, it's not so great because we miss diversity. So you add some more people around that and you add some more people around that. But at some point, the diversity becomes a challenge because your differences in languages become apparent and you need to make very clear decisions on what you say on what level and what responsibilities lie with whom. And this is exactly what's happening when you have a startup moving from like four or five people to 20 people. And you have the original CEO who's realizing, shit, maybe I'm not really good at being CEO. I need to let this go. I need to have somebody who knows how to do this uh, in charge of my company. And this is this is exactly, the, I think, the cultural change that should be interesting for us to talk about, because it's easy to say, let's talk about change in uh, of culture in bigger organizations. Everybody's talking about that. But if you ramp up from having an understanding uh, uh, where that comes from and how you change from level to level, because that is always the same. You can say, well, how did you grow? How did your culture change from there to there? And what happened then? And do you want to go back to your original values? You can't because there's too many people, you know, and there's all kinds of stuff that's very, very interesting there. So can I can I share the screen? Is that allowed in this, this podcast? Yes, of, yes, of course. I mean, just I mean, for the audio people, so you need to switch <laughs> to the videos, but... That's oh, okay, so, so but I so just need to explain Dennis, maybe, That's good. Yeah, maybe just but just building on what Dennis, while you're busy sharing your screen, it, it's just you know Thanks. starting to think about something that <laughs> Jens, is, Jens is the host, so I'll have to make that uh, available yeah. to you. But mm-hmm. you know, building off something that we mentioned last time, and in terms of this cultural transition and talking about the starting culture, and I think that you mentioned a number of great points there around how do how do businesses start and what do they what do they start with. And I think, like I mentioned, Safi Bakal's book, Loon Shots, and you guys might be familiar with it and as well as the audience, but he references the magic number. And the magic number that he references in organizational size is 150 people. And then he talks oh. about how your cultural shifts when you get to that stage. Wow. And I just want to quote, quote quickly from his book before Dennis shares his screen. And he says, as a group grows, the balance of incentives shifts from encouraging individuals to focusing on collective goals to encouraging a focus on careers and promotion. And I think that that's quite interesting when you think about the way people interact with one another inside an organization when they get to that stage, because then all of a sudden your incentives shift and you're no longer swimming in the same channel. And it's not necessarily to say that everyone must swim in the same same channel, but what are you actually working towards and how are you working towards that culture or achieving those objectives for that specific business? in and around or below the 150 mark. And then once you go above that 150 people in the company. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. And, and I, I think, that, I think yeah. that, that magic number, that is something that we can see and place and saying, well, 
there's a whole lot of stuff that's happening before the 150. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Or let's talk about what happens afterwards. But that's just one visual, and I'll I'll try to make it rich also in text, because I share just a very simple uh, sketch in saying, well, you just start with one person, and it is about human beings. It is about people. You know, you have a one person who has a great idea, and he shares it with other people, uh, or she shares it with other people. I have to be diverse, of course. <laughs> and in that sense, you 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 grow in numbers. But going from just one idea to three uh, people, that's already a huge thing because you're mixing not only your ideas, but the ideas of others. It's not about you. It's the first chance you get to, to listen and hear that it's not about you. It's also about other people, how to merge that idea. Unless the other people just want to support you in your idea, which is also a cultural choice. You know? But when you move towards five, you already get like, some form of structure going. And this is where it gets interesting when you get moved towards 20, because when you have 20 people, usually I would say the core of what you started with is uh, just grown. And you have some people who protect your start and you have people who have been attracted to grow just to do the work. But when you move to 50, that work starts to uh, fall into different departments or different, different possibilities and different things to grow. And then uh, you get more to a point where, well, do we do we structure this hierarchically or are we do we really like the Spotify and the, the Facebook models? And the, are we a software development with no top responsibility, but we have shared responsibility? You have a whole lot of books on doing things like this, but moving from the 50 to 100. And like you said, Joshua, the, the, what was the, the, the magic number? 150. 150. Let's make it 150. So for the people listening to the audio, what I'm seeing on my screen here from Dennis is like a circular movement. Top of the circle, you start with one person and then it kind of expands out. And what Dennis is drawing out is like you can see in the groups as it it moves from 135 to 20, the complexity increases between the interactions of the people. And then it kind of goes all across to 150 in a circular motion. Nice drawing there, Dennis. Um, but it just shows how things are changing in iterative ways as more people are added to the organization. Yeah, yeah. And I'll take it away again because and, and the point has been made. Yeah. The idea is that you can see the difference yeah. in growth, and uh, there is a difference in the growth of cultures. And I would say, for purposes of this conversation, we can talk about cultural transitions in that sense and saying, well, what happens when you uh, have a startup? And it's growing like crazy and it's maybe not what you expected, but there's transitions in there. And how do you navigate through those? Or you can already move towards uh, the 150 and beyond and talk about what happens when you are in that space, because there are different conversations. I would would propose let's start in the beginning and then we can see how far we get, because I think we have started already on large, big, big businesses. And we have talked about culture changes a lot in the last one, or at least looking a bit more into bigger organizations. So a good example of the one, two, three is when when Dennis and and, and I started a business together with the third person, which is Stuart, last year. That was quite an exciting thing where we have seen as well the different transition from every one of us was a single person, single business in their own. And then we said, let's build an event company. Let's do something together where we look into transforming mindsets of executive 
towards how, how they can work with innovation. We basically started with that idea and then everyone was bringing his thoughts into the weekly, let's say, meeting and, and engagement. And then we basically built on top of each other. So it was going from one idea and merged into different ideas. And we, we got to know each other so deeply during a year now that we basically thought, and, and I think that there has been built up a culture just between the three of us in a way that it wouldn't be if you're alone. And that's already right. like going from one person to three three people. That's That was an interesting learning for me as well over the last year, which is now happening in the other business with with the XYZ Playground, where, where we look into uh, reverse mentorship models or and a platform which I work with Joshua. We are basically in the early stage of that as well, where we have... We started with 10 people and figuring things out and, yeah. and merging in different ways. Yeah. And if I can latch onto, I mean, this is Joshua's fault, right? And I'm stealing royally from him because he, he kind of nudged my memory. Um, I'm a super fan of this book, Sapiens. And the other thing that I want to draw out of that book, and it kind of aligns with you just told, Jens, is that, and I think this is where we position this conversation today because I jumped into changing of the story. What we're talking about, uh, and, and the thing is the book touches on how we as human beings keep on telling each other different stories. Mm. Everything is a story. Culture is a story. Being Polish, South African is a story we tell ourselves. Now, when you start your business, you are shaping the initial parts of that story. You're putting the story down and you're starting to tell the story of what this business is, what it's going to be and how it's going to grow. And the thing is that story is alive. You need to change the story over time. Yeah. And then later on, we get so attached to that damn story when big things happen and we need to change the story, we get sensitive about it. But right. we forget that it's only a story that we're telling ourselves, yeah, which is super if, interesting. But what if you already know that the story is going to change? What if you had a, a great mentor uh, saying to you, when you get to uh, 10 people, your story is going to change and you know that it's coming. And that, that is maybe you just identified where we need to solve this is to, to be prepared and set it yeah. up that people. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's the, I, would, that's the, I would say that's the whole idea. You can read about all this stuff in a book, but you can the, the moment that you go through it, when you have the knowledge that at some point it's going to change and it doesn't, then you still will have the question, why isn't it? Why isn't my culture changing? Because I read that it was going to change when I was going to hit 10, 10 people. Well, it depends on where you are in the world and what kind of business you do. If you sell apples and you have nine people working for you selling those apples, it's a different culture as nine engineers working together on one big project. You know, yeah. so, and, and in that sense, the, the composition of the people and what they're doing is paramount to the formation of and shaping of that culture. Let's move to Joshua. Yeah, Dennis, and I think, you know, building off a lot of what you said there, I think that it is it is recognizing that things are going to change. And I think, you know, Jens, to go back to something that you were mentioning around starting a team or starting an organization, I think there are different types of leadership and different types of styles that will inform cultures. And I think, you know, bringing it right back to, you know, starting or being a founder inside an entrepreneurial organization to look at some segments that we chatted about last time is how do you start setting up at that vision? What story are you telling? Who are you serving and how are you communicating that? Because I think that is the, the foundationals and if we call it the bedrock of how you start thinking about culture. 
And then from there, you can say, okay, well, who are the different type of people? And to go back to something that I mentioned in the last conversation from Jim Collins is good to great is the who. So who are the people that form the foundational culture inside an organization? And a lot of the things that, that we've worked on with people in this call is around understanding the people inside of the room. And like we've mentioned in this conversation and in other circles is we all really find the importance of people very important in the way that we converse, the way that the change that we drive and things like that. But Dennis, to maybe jump to your point around the different scenarios and the different ways that you need to approach culture in terms of the roles and responsibilities that you will be fulfilling as an individual or as an organization. And again, something that Safi Bukal references is called the Moses trap. And I don't know if anyone on the calls heard about what the Moses trap is. So essentially, it talks about when ideas advance only at the pleasure of a holy leader who acts for the love of loon shots rather, th rather than for the strength of strategy. And I think that that, again, talks to this notion of transition is when you're working for yourself and you're an entrepreneur or solo entrepreneur. Um, and then how do you start building out of that team? And reading again something last night and sort of tying some synergies and strings together here is Bill Gates's philosophy and this Moses trap analogy is when Bill Gates built out of his team, he references how when he was building out Microsoft, he says he has a love for software and a love for the technical practicalities of building software. But he got to a point where he had to realize that in order to scale and in order to grow, so this is now moving from one to five to 10 to 20, he had to start to delegate. And I think that that's an extremely difficult thing to do when you hold your culture very close to your heart and thinking about how do you delegate inside of that space? Who are the people that you can trust inside of that space to do a job as good as you would necessarily do it? And that's just something that I wanted to highlight and build off what you were saying, Dennis, about how if you're an apple, an apple farmer who sells apples at the market versus a Bill Gates software engineer who's building out and scaling Microsoft, there are lots of lessons, although they might not seem similar, in the very way that those businesses grew out in themselves. Yeah, yeah love that. And I think if, if we build on top of that, there, there are differences, but there are similarities. So mm -hmm. when you start out, like, like you said, it's first starting with the vision uh, of the, the initial idea of the founder, maybe. So a person who is putting out a mission and saying, hey, I, I would love to dig into that. I have an idea and that's something I want to solve. And then people will identify themselves to be part of that. Because in the initial phase, it's often not in, not in the way, hey, I employ you and you will be part of my business. It's more about, hey, this is my vision. That's what I want to do, that I want to, want to accomplish. And then people start to join this movement, if you call it movement. And then it's, it's building on top of that. And there will be people who are selecting themselves out because they, they have thought it, they understood it differently. And I think all of these topics is basically getting started is a bit like you said, but then the transition comes when it's growing and where you need to, you need to understand as the CEO or as the manager who has started that, you need to step back. Step back means if you want to grow the business, if you want to grow the, the movement, you need to enable others to take it forward and, and bring their ideas in to be able to do that. And I think that's always a critical moment where either a business is growing very, very fast, where, where you empower others or you're stagnating, at least in, in, in my, if, if we keep it super simple. And that's, that's what you see a lot. Um, if, even if you just take my, my initial start, when I started, 
just my coaching business alone. As soon as I took other people inside my organization, even with external people supporting me, virtual assistants and so on, the way I worked changed. The, the way how my business was perceived from the outside world was changing. And that's just the small transition moments where, yes, there, there's a cultural aspect to that and there's an operational aspect to that. And I think that's an interesting way when you go from five to 10 and maybe it's not exactly five to 10, but it's like grow to a bigger team where you need to split up the different tasks from an organizational topic as well to, to be able to make it happen and, and fulfill the needs of your customers. Yeah. So, so this is a great moment to jump in with my experience, personal experience of growing a company from one idea to with two, to two partners uh, to me leaving when we had about 25 people. And the weird thing there was that these were all engineers that we were putting together. And the, the foundation for growth was positive reinforcement. So there was never a critical word in the growth of the smaller company. So, and for reference, we were drawing for larger organizations to draw out anything from products to, uh, to visions and everything that's in between. And because these are all intelligent people having masters in industrial design, they're able to work with uh, people uh, to, to visualize that. But within the company, this, uh, I would say, equality in uh, mental ability to think about the growth of a company become, became uh, something that got in the way because everybody wanted to have a say and we gave everybody a say because it was all positive. And creating roles and accepting responsibility became extremely difficult to do. And in that sense, when I exactly after 10 years of being part of that, uh, of about starting the company, I exited the, the, the company uh, with the realization that I wouldn't call myself uh, Steve Jobs or uh, Bill Gates, but uh, I am a starter, an innovator, an innovator. So somebody who gets an idea and starts to grow anything around it and start to make it bigger by the actions that I do. And uh, at the time, I couldn't consolidate with my partners to a point where I would find a position in the company that would satisfy me in, in seeing it grow because it was my baby. You know, it was my baby. And I had to literally say, well, I think I should be on, on, on the top of the mountain. Uh, but you guys, my partners, didn't, didn't agree in that sense. And this was a really, really important part because we wanted to grow beyond 25. And in order to do that, I had to leave the company, hmm. which is a really, really important thing to do. And um, after I did that, the company grew a little bit, but I won't go into details about what happened after that. But uh, for me personally, it was a really good decision to start over again because I feel comfortable in the waters of doing that. And I would say going back to the transition, the, the biggest thing in the transition, the biggest mistake we made during the formation of the culture was to keep the culture uh, based on friendship because that's where it started. It was constantly friends coming in and very close and not being able to be clear and uh, decisive and maybe pointing uh, fingers. And so I know you have to do this and this and this. Everything was you do your own thing. And at 25, that was meh. And then after where I left, that didn't go that well either, you know, because there was no vision, no vision on the on the bottom to actually move towards the desire to grow. And it's like, 
it's it's such an important thing to say. Well, like you said, Jens, you have that starting vision. That that is when when you move towards five people, that vision changes mm. because it doesn't stay that same vision. And that's that's maybe me saying, shut up, Dennis. Uh, let Werner uh, riff on that because uh, <laughs> that is that is literally when you move towards a different uh, culture. It's your vision changes. Yeah. I have a similar story actually of a cultural shift that cost me a, the only time I was on an actual real board of directors. I had to quit my uh, position there. It's not similar to your story though, Dennis. It's like one of the early lessons I learned. And the thing is, let me clarify why I'm telling this story is that I think that in this call, I think we all get the value and the importance of culture. But in my experience, I've worked with lots of very talented people, business people who did not put or do not put a lot of value on culture. The lucky thing is that culture happens no matter what. So for example, we, I worked in a startup where just by fluke, the culture was just awesome. You know, the pain did come in though when the growth started happening. So Joshua, thanks for that because we were going to go exponential and that's where the wheels came off because there wasn't a preparation, there wasn't an awareness around the story. The, the other thing that I would say though, and this is something that I joke about, and this is the way my board story comes in, is that I come from an advertising agency background. Now, a lot of people sneered and snickered at it and like, yeah, admin, but I was lucky enough to work with the last mad men. And why I'm bringing that up, this up is that advertising people, and maybe someone from advertising is watching it, we are usually working super long hours we get paid dirt. <laughs> we have to do the craziest crap. We work with difficult clients, but people continue to do that. I was in there. The reason we did that is we had a story that we're telling. We had a culture of excellence and we we're working towards something. Now, the reason that I lost my or left my position is that at some stage, what happened is that we, we built a, a small agency from scratch where everybody worked towards this kind of using culture to build up that was really in deep shit, if I might say that. And we turned it around and we were ready to make that growth shift. I understood that. And of course, all the people with the Excel spreadsheet started walking into the boardroom showing us that we need to do. So the thing that we had to do is we had to scale. And I knew and understood that. I also knew that that was going to be a change. However, the way they wanted to scale it was going to destroy the culture that was set up in the beginning. There was a certain vision, mission, and attitude that this team had. And I feel like some of that stuff you can retain going forward because if you destroy that, you move away from inspiring people to do work towards trying to manipulate people to do work. And they were trying to force this, this, this merger through with a company that didn't share the same goals to create the scale. And I fought it as much as I could. And at the end of the day, as a leader, you have to say, okay, I'm in and I believe in this or I have to step away. And a lot of people did step away along with me, which was sad because at the end, the merger didn't happen and all the work we did kind of fizzled away over time. But I don't know what the actual point is I'm trying to make, but I do think that that kind of nuclear story that you're telling, that nucleus needs to be nurtured. And the other point I'm making is that not everybody, and we need to kind of be clear on that assumption, is aware that culture is happening within their startup, even if they kind of take note of it or not. Yeah, that's that's where like in big, 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 large organizations, you have a culture team and people taking care of that. That's a different other topic to to dig yeah. into. 
but I think that's super true point where culture is happening. Doesn't matter what you're planning to do. It's just happening. And, and I, I love that, that description, what you just said is yes, the, the initial vision is let's say changing, but I think it's still there. There, the, the key message or, or the, yeah. the, the art or the star of it is still there. The words and the things are like a little bit morphing into something new, but it's the the key point is there. If you take that out, it's a different company. It's a different thing. And, and it's so powerful, Jens. Yeah. It's like, I mean, the thing is like, I mean, it just reminds me of this conversation now that I'm now in the last couple of years of my life really kind of focused like, and I know you're trying to knock me out of that thinking too, is like, I like to turn to my spreadsheet myself to see where the numbers are going, how's the business healthy, whatever. And uh, the thing is, like, if I think back to those days about how people were kind of rallying around and latching onto culture, that was really like driving the bottom line. It is not only about kumbaya, guitars around the fireplace, and we all having a party. That was getting shit done and yeah. really effectively and and a very high level. And it's powerful if you understand it. And it, it makes difference in your company. It's not just about the soft, feely stuff. Yeah, and I think that's... Yeah, so I think, you know, Van and and Jens, those are such great points, because I think sometimes when we are building out things and we're moving at a rapid pace and, you know, startups can go from zero to 100 very quickly and they can also go from 100 to zero very quickly in in the reverse direction. And I think one of the things that maybe we don't spend enough time on is actually thinking about how does that vision scale? Because I think sometimes we think... We know these, and it's the ends I've written down here, you know, the empowerment, you've got cultural empowerment and you've got operational empowerment. And people are very good at saying, okay, well, I know that if we go from zero to 100 customers, I'm going to need to do X, Y, and Z. But they don't actually understand, okay, if we go from zero to 100, we're going to have to employ 10 more people. And inside of those 10 people, how do you onboard those people? What does that look like? How do you keep them inspired? How do they buy into your vision overall? And Fanna, something that you said really resonated with me is because sometimes I think people misconstrue what culture is. There is an element of it that is that soft, feely, fuzzy, feel good side of things, but it's way more than that. It's actually empowering you as a person to give up and show up the best that you can on a day to day because you also believe and buy into that vision that the founders had inside of that initial organization when they first started. And something that I, again, to reference a great thinker, uh, Jim, Jim Collins, is when he talks about Jiro and Jiro Sports and how they embody that vision and how they then built that out into the great company that it is today. And they learned lessons along the way. And I think that also people understand to maybe segue this slightly is how do we, how does culture transition? Because yes, there might be a vision that is a thorough thread or a through thread that links all of the different phases of a company together. But just as we want that, culture may change as different people take over, as leadership changes, as roles change, as an organization, Apple, for example, moves to a trillion dollar market cap. How does that and what does that leadership look like? What does the transition between a Steve Jobs to a Tim Cook look like? And where does that company go from from that? And I might be jumping the gun there, but I just wanted to mention that around the transition because I think it's something quite important that we maybe don't spend enough time on even in the early stages of founding a company and things like that. It's a really, really good point. And it's, but it is... Uh, going back to the idea, if you know beforehand that these things are going to happen, you can prepare for them. 
you know, because in a business school, they say, well, you have to get your feet wet in order to uh, know what you're talking about. But there's people who have created companies based on theory, based just based on the fact that they know that within a company and its growth, you're going to go through these phases. And that's that's just a simple truth. But when you're actually going through it, it's not that black and white. It's extremely gray. But having markers that you know when culture, when growth shifts are needed, when culture uh, shift happens, when you grow, uh, when you know that these things are there, then you need to have people come into your company when you're beyond a certain point that are only working with that. And I really like the word nucleus in that sense and nurture the nucleus because it is something very special. But at some point, sometimes when companies are so uh, special, the nucleus gets replaced. It gets taken out, polished, and maybe they realize that there's something inside that's too personal. We take it out because otherwise we cannot grow beyond. No, and that's a huge thing that's super emotional for the people who started the company. For the people who want to grow, it's no problem. But the thing is, it brings me to the kind of question that you left on the table, though, Joshua. And this is the one that I'm struggling with. And once again, uh, not struggling with, but exploring, rather. Is, and I'm trying to think about my past experiences. Because even with that story I told, is that we, what we did is we actually, at some stage, brought the full team into a boardroom to air their perspectives and how they felt about it. And that kind of brings me back to the comment I made in the beginning. And hopefully this is a question I can ask you guys for advice because like, how do you do the change then? My, my kind of hypothesis at the moment is that perhaps going against what I said in the beginning, uh, remember I said enablement is good, but perhaps we are trying to try and drive these changes when Tim Cook comes in by driving it from the top down what we should actually do is is that the people who've been living in this kind of world and kind of latching onto that story, onto that culture, allowing them to say, okay, cool, we know that change is coming. Let's then design the change together rather than trying to impose it from the top down. So, I mean, the question I'm asking is that then how do you, how do you do that step from the 100 to 150? Like, do you get a consultant in like Joshua to come and help you? Or, you know, what, what is the thing? I, I would like to riff on that. If we just take the example of Tim Cook, what a lot of people guess, and I've been working in a larger organization, that, that the CEO is the most powerful person in the organization. The, the CEO is the leader who is inspiring, in my, in my understanding of a CEO, specifically large organizations. They have a team around them who are doing shit, who are doing yeah. this stuff. So most of the time, they're the representative of the management board towards the external world and as well reflecting that internal. So if, if, if you just take this change to, towards Tim Cook, he has had, and he was most probably even not telling that to anyone, a clear goal of what this transition is. And he wasn't saying to, to everyone, hey, we will change now. And the, that's the, the, the biggest thing that happens because he would directly create a backlash. He was putting slowly, step by step by step, his stepping stones forward to change change the world. And if you just have seen the transition of what happened, if, if you just see the business model change of Apple, which a lot of people don't get at all, but if, if you just look at that iTunes is one of the, the, the most successful platforms in the world, which wasn't the case with Steve Jobs at that time. And of course, it's also time change and, and technology changes. But I think it's tremendous change what he was doing. 
with the organization and still everyone, or let's say most of the people are most probably behind him. And I think that's, that's for me, it's, it's a key leadership topic where leaders need to, to recognize that there is a change and facilitate the change, not due to change. It's not about, hey, let's talk about change the whole time. Let's talk about business. Let's talk yeah. about our customers. Let's talk about our team. So for me, it's rather than focusing on the change, it's rather focusing on the people and the change you want to make happen with your business. So how do we go from having this business model, serving this customers in that way to, to do something else? Going from selling iPhones to building out iTunes as one of the most dominant platforms in the world, which he most probably didn't say like this, but it's it's just a slightly different focus shift, which is an opportunity for a lot of people inside the organization because they still keep building iPhones and other nice things. But that yeah, focus, that, that focus shift, sorry, uh, Werner, that focus shift, that's so interesting because uh, I don't know who said, I think it was Werner who said it, or maybe even Jens. You go from a point that you go from inspiring to work to uh, manipulating people to work. And there's there's a difference. Manipulation, in that sense, is a dirty, it sounds like a dirty word, but the transition that Tim Cook made is a manipulative move because he did not make it without with everybody in the company in that synchronous uh, way of thinking. He had a lot of people working and he had a plan and that worked towards a, a big market success, which I, I think has an influence on the culture, but it's not driven by the culture. It's driven by financial desire and growth, which doesn't come from the company. It comes from the people within Apple who come up with a new business model for the company to grow even bigger. And I think there that's a super interesting point to say, well, what happens then when you have super much success what happens to the culture? Is it the same culture? Because everybody's happy because they're having such success and such opportunity. But it didn't come from uh, the fact that they were part of the decision that the culture was changing. The business model was changed or was adapted or was made better. And then it has a direct effect on the culture, a culture of success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there are different layers if we just take a large company like that, because I'm I'm very much into inclusion topics, but having a, a company plus 100,000 employees, you can't just involve everyone in it, no. in the decisions. No. Like you need to set a direction, which still fits under the main umbrella of the vision, but then take a decision. That's why you have a management board and a CEO to drive it towards that. No. And I think then it's like doing that in a way that it still fits to the culture and not changing completely. Yeah. Having a step-by-step shift because I was I was explaining it dramatically, and I think they're not, they're even not finished with the transition. They're still on their way. Let's move on to where now. Yeah, I want to like, but this is just to echo what you said, and I think because it's for me like a little bit of an aha moment. Because I think what we've been talking about here, and maybe that's the mistake that's also happening in organizations, is that we're getting so precious about our culture. It's not that precious, guys. It can change. Okay, it yeah. can change tomorrow. Yes, it's not but bad. But the thing is, but Jens, what you can, yeah, no, it's not everything is bad. But what you've just That's said, true. and I've got a little anecdote to tell about it as well. What you've just touched on is that, and this is perhaps also where leadership can come in, is that you have a certain culture to reach a certain goal, right? And sometimes those goals change. It's just to make sure that the goals are still something that everybody wants to reach, right? Because, I mean, I can tell you now probably, and, and I disagree a little bit with Dennis about the manipulation. I guarantee you, 
Tim Cook probably inspired people to say, listen, this old, other guy's out, I'm in, let's go get this. And then you start talking about inspiring. And then the, the rest leave up to your leadership team to, and the people on the ground to, to get towards this point. At the moment, there's such a focus on change and equity and all these other things. But we don't always talk about the value that equity and change and inclusion actually brings to a company. Now, here's an example. I went to an event like two years ago where a professor from a university in Poland spoke, and we were specifically talking about diversity, inclusion, and immigration into Poland. And they have actually done a study to show that if you start bringing in people from different cultures, uh, gender, and all these things into your teams, it means that your startup environment, ecosystems, your innovation skyrocket. They've, they've made comparisons where, I mean, and this is not by intention. I mean, we just have a different cultural set here in Eastern Europe, right? It's still growing. It's different. But we have a challenge because we need to bring more people, fresh blood in. And when you bring this fresh blood in, of course, there's change in culture. You have to shift things. It's painful. It's just the whole thing. But like we're looking past the benefit that it brings. And you need to put that benefit on the table so that people can rally around the benefit. And yeah, that's, no, that's that's thanks that's, to you, Jens. <laughs> yeah, no, Van, I love I love what you you mentioned there around bringing in diversity and inclusion. And I think maybe just to, to, to just to join some dots in this conversation today is around Dennis, what you mentioned around the nucleus. And I think where we need to think bigger from a leadership perspective is is culture tied to one specific person inside of the organization, or is it tied to the vision that you want to achieve as an organization? For example, Apple, Tim Cook leaves, what is the next transition and what is the future vision of Apple? Then from a nucleus perspective and just geeking out here from a scientific perspective is saying, obviously you've got the nucleus and then you've got different mitochondria around the nucleus and mitochondria bring food and fuel into the nucleus. So if you want to bring in diversity and inclusion, how can you then strengthen that nucleus, strengthen the culture and strengthen the vision of the company inside of that space? by doing exactly like you said, Vanna, learning from other perspectives to strengthen that culture inside an organization. And then lastly, and it's back to something that, that you mentioned, Jens, is around the transition and the inspiration that Tim Cook maybe put inside certain people's heads or different departments inside of Apple. And not saying that they necessarily transitioned away from the mobile device that Steve Jobs launched and built out iTunes to be one of the most successful businesses in the world. And now are looking at Google Lens and AR contact lenses and Google car, uh, Apple cars and things like that. It's more saying around which teams and which pieces of the puzzle of the overall culture and overall visions have been turned on at different spaces and time segments inside of their overall journey. And acknowledging that culture transitions it doesn't, it's not stagnant. If it is stagnant, that's not a bad thing, but it just means that you're going to achieve a certain different thing. In, in terms of moving a culture forward, there are different pieces and different people that you're going to turn on from a leadership perspective inside of that to enable you to take the next step forward. Yeah, love that. Have been working in large corporation in different countries. What was quite interesting, there was like a company culture then inside the different countries of that organization was also different cultures or people who have understood and translated that culture in a different way and lived it in a different way. 
and because it was a retailer, was even inside a country, you have different cultures in the different stores. But they are all they all have a similar red thread, which is like the the maybe the nucleus of the company culture, and that's then used in all the different parts of the world in a slightly different adapted way, where where it's true to the people who are exactly at that point in time inside of that organization, in that store, in that country organization. What's quite interesting, what I've also seen is when transitions happen, like a new CEO, a global new CEO was placed into an organization with with a specific topic to drive the next five years, which was often very clear because they put out their mark fairly early in the beginning. So I've, I've seen like, for example, three big CEO changes. And that also meant that the culture was shifting slowly into certain direction. But again, it's it's depending where you are in the organization and how much it is changing. So that's also fascinating, specifically when you look into large organizations, let's say plus thousand people, how this kind of things are affected and how you can support your organization to change. And I'm a bit hesitant in using manipulation because manipulation is always seen as a bad thing. For me, it's more when we work with Stuart uh, from an American perspective, he's always using persuasion. That's maybe a better word to, to say it. But for me, it's more when, when I talk about change, when I talk about leadership, leaders need to be amazing and inspiration. They need to inspire people to find out what is their inspiration towards the bigger goal, towards the bigger vision that the company has. And if you as a leader can fuel this small thing, what everyone can bring towards that into the organization, then it doesn't matter what part of the culture is changing as long as it fits to the, to the umbrella vision. And I think that's, that's as important as culture inside an organization is a leader and a manager on top and inside the organization, the other different managers and leaders who are taking this and, and allowing this to happen rather than taking it from a like really old school way of thinking top down approach where where hey you need to do what i'm telling you though i have to say it's it's different in different cultures if we look around the globe in some countries that's more natural for example when i was moving from from russia to sweden the management style is completely different the the local people are understanding culture in a company setting in a completely different way if you just switch people from one country to the other country or or managers like I was moving, you need to adapt to the local environment, to the local culture to be able to be efficient. And you can still have the, your flavor in it to adapt the culture slowly towards where you believe as an inspirational leader it should be. But it's always interesting to see that the leader has a huge effect in that. Can I, can I share a, a visual with you that uh, Werner is going to explain? Yes, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering how he will explain it. Oh. Okay, so, I mean, I can explain what's on the picture, right? Yeah. So I don't know if I'm going to get this right. So what I can see here is uh, the visual is called cultural transitions. So um, it's 1 to 20. It's a little kid. And he says, I'm culture. And then he goes over to 20 to 50. And you can see at the top of, of the figures, there's actually four figures. Um, so the small one, one to twenty, is smaller. At top of his head is like connections, where the the culture is still small and interactive, and then he grows up to twenty to fifty, and uh, it's getting a bit more complex. And then he hits fifty to hundred and twenty. I am the new culture, so there's definitely a shift. But he's got his hand on top of the smaller one, so there's still a link. 
right? And then it goes over to 120 plus where things become really global, complex. You have to also then look at how you adapt your culture to local because now because we're global, there's all kinds of things happening all over. So the final figure is kind of blurring into multiple figures and it says, we are culture. The I is gone as we are culture. And it's tied to the vision of the organization and moving forward and growing even more. But it always starts and is always linked to the nucleus of culture where it started off. Dennis, how was that? Did I mess that up? No, you didn't. Good drawing, good drawing. <laughs> and, and it was I, like iterative change over time. Yeah. So, so I added some shifts that are now between the 120 and 2050. So actually the people, the, the, the manifestation yeah. of culture that is growing from a small kid to, uh, to an adolescence to a sex change. Yeah, you changed the gender there. That's yeah. brilliant. Because we, I mean, that's, but that's, that's a super important topic that we keep on yeah. forgetting, right? And it's, it's, it's becoming an important aspect of, of how we build our organizations now. So that's a good touch there. Yeah, I would say the big thing that usually uh, we tend to look at culture as one thing like this. It's like this is a, our culture is now in an infant stage. And then we say, well, we need to grow towards this culture. And then we uh, get all hold and bothered to how did, uh, what it will look like. And we move from here to here. And what we tend to forget is that everything happens in between. So between the culture here and here, there is no movement from going from this culture to this culture. It evolved. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that's in between. Yeah. That moves to that ever more complex thing that's growing as a culture. But the one thing I really like is the idea that the nucleus uh, evolves over time as well, and that the culture is is constantly tied to the vision, because it that and that in the end inspires and attracts the people that fit with that culture and drive that culture forward. But it's interesting to see that every time that you move from one culture to another, you do a t- change. Oh, we go through a change project, you know, and people tend to say, well, right now we're this, and then we're going to be that. And this is where yeah. there, I think is a bit of a, a mismatch in how people experience this, because there's no shift in culture that you can say, okay, now we're this, we've changed into that culture. There's a transition, and that's usually very gradual, and it's not uh, without any uh, problems in that sense. And that's why it's interesting to say, well, if you look at culture as a growing person, and at the, at the end, there's going to be because the, the amount of people is so big that there's not going to be one person that's going to be the face of the culture, unless the culture is Gandhi or Martin Luther King, and we, because we feel that we want to aspire or something like that. But because the diversity at some point is so big, that it becomes very difficult to say you have one culture, because a global culture and the one side in Australia is probably not the same as in South Africa. Definitely not. Love that. Love that. And and if, if you're okay, Dennis, we will put the yeah. drawings as well as a PDF into the show notes. So for, for for those who are not watching the YouTube version of this, you can have a look at them as well. Are they cool? Yes. We have covered a lot. I have some other things, but uh, we do that for the next time. <laughs> yeah, we, we have covered a lot today. So let's do a, a last rapid fire round. What, what did you learn today? What, what are your final departing words? Let's start with Dennis. 
I, I learned that we as a group have, a, I would say, a, the possibility to uh, define a little bit what's happening with culture and that we are different people looking at it from a different perspective. So I think that's good. I think Joshua is great at taking out uh, very well and eloquently put uh, things from books and probably its own experience. I think Werner comes in with some really interesting and good uh, also personal stories, which I share. I, I do the same. I tend to uh, bring in also some of the experience that culture has in my own thing. And I've learned that Jens is always the person that brings this together, which is a, a good affirmation for, for me to see happening between the four of us. So I've learned a lot this session and I haven't said anything about culture. Because this is something that will come from us as a group, I think. Great. Let's move to Joshua. Yeah. So firstly, Jens, thanks for another fascinating and intriguing conversation. And likewise, Vanna and, and Dennis. And I think, you know, the, the, one of the biggest takeaways for me in this conversation is while we have connected digitally and through Zoom today, the importance of people resonates stronger than ever. Um, and especially during this digital time, because we've spoken about culture, we've spoken about how you grow teams, grow companies, but we keep coming back to people. And how do you inspire people? How do you lead people? And what does that future look like? And I think two words that sort of resonate, and I'm going to steal them from Safi Bakal again, is around a loonshot nursery and around how do you create and foster creativity inside of an organization? And it links back to a common thread that we've spoken about last time is around mindset and specifically an entrepreneurial mindset. And how do you do that inside an organization which creates a culture which then allows you to make some magic and achieve great things with inside your organization team, whether you be a startup or a thousand people or a hundred thousand people juggernaut in the world today. So I think that's what I've learned is, again, it's, it's it reaffirmed the importance of people and it's a privilege for me to learn from, from everyone on the call today. So thank you again for your time. And I can echo that, Joshua. Once I tip my hat, once I can wear a hat again when the sun is out in Poland, I will definitely tip my hat to you guys. Uh, I'm super selfish. I'm a consultant, right? So I have, I'm sitting in this conversation, I'm stealing like an like a artist. So the one big takeaway from me that I'm going to be applying on a project right now is that uh, you know, change for the sake of change is actually a little bit meaningless. Um, you can't rally people around that. You can't rally people around change, but you can rally people around an outcome. So thanks, uh, Jens, specifically for that one. Uh, I think that is that is one of, one of the key things that I'm taking away here is is that like focus on the outcome of what you want to achieve and making sure that people, of course, buy into that outcome and maybe be prepared that you're going to lose a few folks around, uh, along the way because they might not share that outcome, but that's also okay because that's what makes us cool because we want to be diverse and inclusive. So thank you. Great. Yeah, for me, it's always interesting to, to see what comes out when you put people into one virtual room and discuss a specific topic. Because for, for me, culture and leadership is, is to my heart and, where, and of course, business. But it's, it, it's for me, it's like the, the mix of different understandings of it makes things happen. And the, the ability to willing to listen to other people and trying to understand their standpoints will give you a third thought, which then helps you to do things differently, helps you to understand the different perspectives, help you to as well question your own thoughts. And that's that's what, what this breakfast setting is, is about, where, hey, let's talk about a specific topic, which helps us to think differently, 
so it's helpful for just for us, even if nobody is listening. But I hope at least that that there are one or two people out there who are thinking, it's like, hey, that wasn't too bad what they said. That sounds interesting. I will listen to the next one as well, or to other things we are all doing and and shared shared doing. That's it for today. Thank you very much for being in another innovation breakfast. Hope to see you in in the next one again. Thank you for all listeners. If you if you listen to them on on the audio version, you're welcome to have a look at the video version, which is on, on the YouTube channel. And if you're in the video version, you're welcome to download the audio version as well. And give us feedback in the comments. Share it as much as you want. And thank you very much for listening and watching. See you next time. Hey, this is Jens again. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you have listened to, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episodes with your friends and people you think might like it too. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, please follow me on social media or look me up at jensheitland.com. Thank you very much and see you in the next episode.